The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country. Yes, until the nation comes to time with our problems. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Mr. Reverend, good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seale. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind. You're so generous. So, man, but I salute you and the work that you were doing there. Doing a magnificent job there at Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now, live from the American Family Insurance Studio at the Avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee, here is Sherwin Hughes. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Today is Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. You need to get all your black history stuff taken care of in the next 24 hours because Black History Month is over. It's been a productive Black History Month, I suppose. Not really sure what we really did. I probably expressed to you my feelings about Black History Month. It's just something that we do. It's more symbolic than anything else. It also led us into a conversation about Juneteenth Day, where the insights about Juneteenth Day were, they were good. I appreciated that conversation. The reason why I want Juneteenth Day moved from basically a big block party to a downtown parade route, like every other parade. We have a parade, I think, for Thanksgiving. It's probably a Christmas parade. We have parades for Veterans Day. A lot of times those parades we have downtown that normal regular parade route down on Wisconsin Avenue is corresponding to a federal holiday. Well, Juneteenth Day is a federal holiday. And to show how that June 19th date, no matter what day of the week it is, it's always on June 19th, is now a federal holiday. It makes sense where it can have a parade that commemorates the fact that Juneteenth Day is a federal holiday. It's not just a black holiday. And here's one of the issues that I have with Black History Month. This is not just about us. Now, we think like, oh, this is our month. No, no, we have to be able to share our history because we can't complain when they remove black history from schools, but then want our moments in America, our monumental moments in America to only be shared amongst us. So, but it makes a lot of sense though. We just want our festivals to be in our neighborhood. Juneteenth day is one example, and we don't want to quote unquote commercialize it. We need to commercialize it actually. Black people love commercialization. 
We are more responsive to media and media advertising than any other demographic group. We love corporate America. Either we're working in it, working for it, starting our own bit of corporate America, or we are buying things made and produced by corporate America, including our food. But if we want our history to be shared, to be a part of the ubiquity of public education in this nation, and it's long time for that. I'm just waiting on federal legislation that makes requirement of African-American history, but you can't call it an African-American history requirement in our public education. You can't do that. It's just a revamping of public education. It might change some things in math. It might change some science requirements because I don't think that American students are getting enough of those requirements to be competitive, to get a job, et cetera, et cetera. But we have to include our history in everything that is happening in America. So when we have a Juneteenth Day, as an example, on a block, not several blocks, but it's outgrown. In my opinion, since Juneteenth Day has become a federal holiday, I think it has outgrown the traditional area in which it's held. It needs to be at the Summerfest grounds. And I'm not trying to rehash this conversation, but if we want our history to be known and understood, and like that really is the first step into dissolving some of the ignorance about us. They don't know anything about what we've done, ladies and gentlemen, and we don't know enough about what we have done. So we try to pack it in during Black History Month. I don't even know if I learned anything about black folks this month. Is that even the point? Or are we trying to tell other people this is the time in which they're supposed to learn about us? Either way, we get frustrated when they're removing our history from the classrooms where it is needed most. Like we want children to grow up knowing how African-Americans have contributed to every single facet of this nation. There is nothing in this nation that we have not left an indelible mark on. And that needs to be told. You're not telling it in a biased way. Just tell history as it happened, because then it resolves me from having to tell white folks stuff when they're 70 years old. Oh, sure. When I never knew that. Oh, I didn't know that black people did that. You got to be kidding me. You don't say I didn't know that you guys invented that. Could you imagine somebody living their entire life and not knowing some of the things that they use every single day was created by us? Could you imagine that? We get upset when they remove our history books and literature from the classroom. But at the same time, we want to keep our history to ourselves. We don't get it both ways. Either we are a part of this American experiment or we want to live segregated. What is the worst that can happen if we take our culture and open it up to everybody else? Because here's the thing. We might as well because they're going to steal it anyway. At least this way, we might have a little bit more creative control over what they are stealing. But when we try and keep what we do clandestine, we call it a cultural appropriation. That's what we call it. I don't really use that term because I think that anything that happens in America, anything that happens in public belongs to everyone who witnesses it. If we come up with the style of music, if we come up with the dance craze, don't get mad when you see someone of another race doing it. Now, when it comes to hairstyles, I'm backing off of that one because y'all real territorial over the hair. I'm not here to tell Native American women or white women or Latina women what kind of hairstyles they can wear, nor do I think that African-American women should be able to tell those women which hairstyles they can't wear. Let me tell you why black women shouldn't do that. Because if one of those women 
a white woman, a Hispanic woman, a Native American woman told a black woman not to wear her hair in a certain way, y'all would have a fit. Make it make sense. And maybe it's the part that we don't want to discuss because it harkens back to a dark time in American history. We all belong to each other. I know you don't want to. I know you don't want to liken yourself to some of the people that you find distasteful. But they are ours and we are theirs. So if you have to wrestle with that, wrestle with it all you need to. Anything that happens in this nation culturally belongs to the nation. It belongs to all of us. No one can have a monopoly on anything. We shouldn't have a monopoly on our culture or on our history or we want to keep our Juneteenth festival just cordoned off in our neighborhood. Plus, parking is terrible. You got to park on a side street. And your car will probably be stolen. I'm sorry, your car might get stolen. I don't know. Stop buying Hyundais and Kias. If we want our history to be widely known and understood, we're still going to have Black History Month. I don't really know what the purpose of it is because I I want to get to a point where we outgrow having Black History Month where every single month history that is talked about, that is taught, that is instructed includes us because if we just have black history month, then there's an excuse where you don't have to have it every single day in classrooms all around this nation. Cause you can just save it for the shortest month of the year, but we got extra day. You got extra 24 hours of black history month, which is actually tomorrow. Tomorrow's the February 29th. So we got an extra day of black history month. I think I'm just getting sick of it. It's relegated to a single month. We get angry when they pull African-American literature, things that refer to us in a positive light out of elementary school classrooms and out of high school classrooms, et cetera. But we are also still very content to keep our history and our culture to ourselves. We already lost our history and our culture, y'all. We need to try and consider making a new one. I don't even know what we're hanging on to because what we are hanging on to, I think, keeps us still mentally in the past. I know y'all want reparations. I know you do. What was I reading? I got to pull it up. I got to. Okay. So it was. Was it a state legislator? Or was it a piece of federal legislation? All right. Where I think it's Gen Z and millennials. So when y'all look it up, I'm going to give you as much information as I can. Y'all get your Google fingers working because y'all can Google a lot faster than me because there's a bunch more of y'all out there and it's only one of me. It's something. There's a proposal where Gen Z and millennials, because I guess they're having like a harder time economically, financially, because their wages are low, interest rates are high, where they would be entitled to reparations. Follow me now. I read a headline of a story and I got distracted, so I couldn't send email the story to myself. Somebody's coming up with an idea. It's a, it's a bill or a proposed bill where Gen Z and or millennials would get $1,000 or $1,500, they would get reparations, right? It had nothing to do with slavery. It had nothing to do with race, but a generation of Americans who are feeling a lot of economic pressure, younger Americans. It might be just Gen Z. And so when I read the headlines, I was like, wait a minute, where's my reparations at? If African-Americans got reparations, do you know how many individual groups and cohorts of people and subcultures of people would also ask for those same reparations, that's why we ain't going to get it. Just because of how mad I got when I saw 
another group that probably can prove economic harm because the economy is not doing well for a lot of people. But when I read that they would get reparations, I got man, like, where's mine? So imagine if we got reparations, however we would figure that out, which we can't, because when I ask you guys about it, y'all don't know which direction you want to go with it. Do you know how many people would get upset? We would get, they would get as upset as I got when I saw that there was a, a generation of Americans, a bill that would give reparations to, and they, they called it reparations, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they called it uh, universal basic income. It was specific for the Gen Z or millennials because economically they have had the short end of the stick. So they would get a bill would pass and then they would get reparations and infuriated me. I was offended by that. All right. So I got uh, some stuff I want to talk to you about. There's a program. Ooh, y'all going to love this. It's called food for feedback. It's a program that is helping Milwaukee black owned restaurants, which is good. You know, I like restaurants. That's a part of my hobbies of the things that I like to do. I like to go out to the restaurants and I like the atmosphere and I like the service and I like to experiment with all different types of cuisine and ethnicities and cultures because I can better understand a people when I can understand what they eat. Plus, food is communal, you see. Now, I've heard the complaints over the years about African-American-owned businesses, whether it be the quality of the food, whether it be the location, whether it be the service. Well, there's a program here sponsored by the Black Chamber of Commerce where if you you go to a black-owned restaurant, okay, give your feedback, and they'll give you $25 for giving your feedback. Now, here's the thing. We've already given our feedback publicly and sometimes in the restaurants themselves on the quality of service or the food that we are receiving. This is specifically for black-owned businesses, but now the Black Chamber is saying, we'll give you a $25 gift card. We're going to be intentional because we want you to leave your feedback about these restaurants and how these restaurants can do better. Haven't we long, long, long complained about not all, but some the lackluster service at some black owned restaurants. And then we wonder why they fail. So I definitely want to talk about, about that. I need to take full advantage of the 29 days of black history month. Tomorrow is our extra day of black history month. So we'll, Learn a whole bunch of extra stuff about the blacks. Going to take a break. Come back. Looks like Rob is holding on line one. It's going to be a doozy. See what Rob wants to talk about on the other side. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be back in a second. Don't touch that dial. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth. The Truth app at 1017thetruth.com. Here it is. It says Michigan Democratic Representative Rashida Tlaib. She's a member of Congress, so this would be federal legislation. She has launched a proposal aimed at emancipated minors and those under 30 that will offer them cash assistance for three years to help overcome homelessness and study housing with a particular focus on youth. Okay, maybe not quite reparations. The bill is co-sponsored by Democratic representatives Corey Bush of Missouri, Sylvia Garcia of Texas, Eleanor Holmes Norton of D.C., who's a non-voting member, Barbara Lee of California, and Jan Shulkowski of Illinois. 
The proposal aims to give $1,400 or rents as determined by market value to serve the immediate goal of trying to help emancipated minors and adults under 30, also described as Gen Z and millennials, but also use the money as a way to study how such help can impact efforts to eradicate homelessness. Hell, give me $1,400 for three years. I guarantee I won't be homeless. I actually, I'd probably buy another house. I'd make sure somebody else wasn't homeless. Quote, we can't keep repeating the same policy approaches that haven't ended the youth homelessness crisis, Tlaib said in a statement. By providing direct cash assistance, we can address our housing crisis while respecting the autonomy and dignity of folks receiving assistance. Okay, so if we're doing that, we're doing it by generation. The millennials and the Gen Z people under 30 that have some housing insecurity. Well, what if there's a whole bunch of African-Americans that can trace their housing insecurity to racist housing policies that still have not completely resolved themselves? And I say that because look at the geographic segregation that still exists in Milwaukee County. Where are my $1,400, Rashida Tlaib? Hey, Gwen Moore. Where's my 1400 Run me my money, Congress. Let's talk to Rob. Rob, you're on 1017 The Truth. How are you? I'm doing well, sir, and hope you and Rhea is doing good there. And I want to say that it's not going to be a doozy, but um, you underestimate me. I actually agree with you today. We have disagreements before about President Trump and all that stuff, but I agree with you wholeheartedly about Juneteenth being not just one area, but moving to a parade and also black history month, which is given to us in the shortest month. I think it should be every day because every day is black history. It's just not one month. That's what I agree on and wholeheartedly. You are on point with that. And then as far as food goes, I'm a foodie foodie myself. I like eating different food groups and food places. And I like food restaurants. I support black owned businesses diners and i had some bad experiences and some good experiences so i'm all with you man what's your favorite restaurant rob botanas oh my but all, that's God. mexican but for mexican botanas but for black restaurants um, i had several ones there's mobays on south first street that's a jamaican um and black ruby jays over on Lisbon Avenue. Um, so, yeah, there's some good ones out there. I had quite a few. And I, I'm going to go take it way back to when it was not that many. Bungalow over on Birdlife, 16th Street. Bungalow was my favorite. You know, I had quite a few experiences. I ate a lot of places, man. So right. too many. I don't have this one. All right. All right. I'd like to see your list, though, Rob. Put together a list of your favorite restaurants. Because I bet on your list are some restaurants I never heard of, and I'm always looking for new restaurants. I'm going to put a list. I'm going to put a list, and I'm going to let you know. I'll, I got the talking text line, and I'm going to text it to you because I got a whole lot of them. I bet you do. All right. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate your call. Yep. Okay, then. Botanas? Come on. I was just complaining about Botana. Didn't I say yesterday that that's the Mexican restaurant that all the black people go to? Like, we find a restaurant and we just, oh, that's the one for us, and we don't really branch out. I told y'all my favorite Mexican restaurant is, and I don't want to tell you again. I don't want y'all showing up my restaurant. I already got a big mouth. I told y'all about Saffron. Y'all going to be going to Saffron. Okay, so there's a an article, but I can't pull it up on this computer, so I got to open up 
my laptop and it talks about Gen Z is more likely to call in sick to work than us generation Xers. And we're 20 years older than them. I have long said that the levels of customer service and the work ethic of these children, because if you ain't responsible and you don't go to work, you're not an adult. I know you don't want to go to work. I don't want to come to work either. Sometimes I want to lay in the bed and have somebody feed me grapes. That's what I want to do. And naked. I want to lay in the bed naked with a ceiling fan on and have somebody feed me grapes or whatever else that I'm hungry for. I would love to do that, but I can't. Sometimes you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You're having a bad morning. You spilled your coffee. You stubbed your toe. Things aren't going right. So what? You got to go to work. You want that money, right? You want that paycheck. Got to pay them bills. You want nice things. You want to be able to go to Botanas. Got to go to work. Something happened in these younger generations where if they don't feel like it, they're not going to go. Or here's, here's the worst one. And I'm not going to relegate this to a generation. This is just a personality flaw. I don't care what you have going on at home. I don't care. I know I probably should, but I don't go to work to perform, to do my job, to do what I was hired for. They hire me to do something. And then in return, I get compensation. And if that compensation isn't fair, then I negotiate for more. You see how that works? But I don't come to work to share my problems at home with work. So there used to be this motto and I think it just got lost. Everybody got stuff at home. Everybody dealing with something, dealing with a family member, dealing with some stuff you got going on. Everybody is whatever it is that you're dealing with doesn't take precedent over what other people are also dealing with in their lives. And I think this is the difference because people that understand what a work professional office environment is Know that they leave that stuff at home. You bring yourself to work. And if you here's the thing, if you can't, if you absolutely positively cannot function because you got a bunch of stuff going on, then you stay home. But you don't bring whatever it is that you have going on at home. You got a bad attitude at home. You got into an argument with your person. Don't bring that mess to work because that's not our fault. Now, I just got to stand on that because too many people are doing that and they are screwing up work environments because they're bringing all their personal stuff from home into work. If whatever is happening with you is so overwhelming that you can't, you can't work, you can't focus, you can't concentrate, and you're not going to be a good employee that day, then I hope you take a little time off. Maybe you get a little sick day, take a vacation day or something. Some companies offer mental health days, but it is screwing everything up because people think, that everybody else's home life and everything going on in their lives is perfect. It is not. We just don't bring that stuff to work. Now, I suppose my situation is different. If I got some stuff going on at home or somewhere else, I'm totally bringing it to work because I'm on talk about it. But if you are, you know, it depends on where you work and what you do. If you're working on a project with somebody or you're, you have a deadline, you got some things that you need to take care of and you're working with a team of people, then you need to be a part of that team. And whatever it else, else that you have going on, you can't bring that to work. That is a part of being adult, and I think that we lost that. But this article, which I cannot pull up, it talks about Gen Z more likely to call in sick to work because of 
the mental health crisis. And so I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get the article pulled up. If I was um, if I was sick, if I had a broken leg, I broke my tibia. Where's the tibia at? Is that a leg bone? The tibia, the rate, the ulnus and the radia, the rania. What's the arm bones? The radius and the ulna. If I broke my radius and my ulna, I can't I can't use my arm. I can't come to work. Well, now I guess I could get a cast. The tibia's in the leg. If I broke the shin bone, thank you, Ria. If I broke my shin bone, or I don't know, let's say I catch the cancers. Okay? I got the cancers. I got it. Don't worry. We're going to get the cancers taken care of. I know good cancer people. I got the cancers. Okay? And I can't come to work because I'm, cause I'm ill. I'm physically sick. I can't come to work. You go to the doctor. Right? Oh, no. I caught the cancers. I had some bad breakfast cereal. Now I got cancer on my neck or on my back or something. It's not funny, actually. But you'd go to the doctor. You can't go to work because you got the cancers. If your mental health is so suffering to where you can't work, then you have to get therapy. You can't just, like, if you have a physical ailment, you guys understand what I'm talking about? If you have a physical ailment, well, that makes sense. You need to go and get medical attention and get it addressed so you can get back to work and you can get back to functioning again. But if your mental health is in a state to where you can't work, because it appears here that there's a major difference between my generation and the younger generation, not the millennials, but the Gen Z's, because of their mental health status and situations, they're calling in sick more then they need to get that addressed because you can't make the workplace suffer. This is the reason why America's not productive anymore. Other countries are kicking our butt. Now I got to wonder what are the mental health like statistics on other nations of their Gen Z's? Why are American children so sad? Down even poor American kids have smartphones. Even poor American kids got flat screen TVs. Poor American kids have Jordans. Poor American kids have indoor plumbing. When you look at all that we have at our disposal, we probably throw away more electronic devices than other countries even have. What we put in landfills, like our cell phones and smartphones and tablets that we disregard, is an amount of technology that some countries may never even get. Yet we are sadder than everybody else. And now it is impacting the workplace. And it's whenever we got to do hiring, I dread it. And those of you that are employers, you know, there have been periods of time where in my entrepreneurial endeavors, I needed some assistance. I had money to, you know, things were going well. I had money to pay an assistant, to pay an employee to kind of help me expand things even further the disappointment that I saw in interviewing people. And it was, it was an entry level position, but it paid like 17, 18 bucks an hour. And this is back in 2012, 2013 and 2014. When I say I couldn't find anybody, when I say that one girl came in, her resume was printed out with pink ink and it was folded up in her pocket. When I say another girl came in and the first thing she said, when she came into the office is where can I charge my cell phone? I'm not kidding you. Several of them smelled like weed. And now because of their mental health situation, let me not diminish somebody's mental health situation. But if it is getting to a point to where you got to call into work 
because you're not well, just like if you were physically ill, if you can't go to work and you remain consistently physically ill, you go to the doctor. And if your mental health situation is now impacting your work, then you need to get therapy and you need to stick with it. I need something. Maybe you need some meds because if you don't come to work, you are putting a burden on other employees. And then you wonder why you're getting fired. All right, I'm take break. Find this article about the Generation Z's and call in sick because they don't want to go to work. Talk about that on the other side. The truth with Sherwin Hughes. I'll be right back. The truth with Sherwin Hughes returns after this on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. More of The Truth with Sherwin Hughes is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Okay, so it says Gen Z is more likely to call in sick to work than Gen Xers, 20 years their senior, thanks to a mental health crisis turbocharged by young women. Ladies. What? What's what's wrong? Work sucks. I know. Trust me. Gen Z women. I know. Work is a drag. I know it's easier. Just go marry your rich husband. Except they don't want you because you don't want to work at all. The stresses of adapting to work after your college years have been a universal struggle marred by new routines, unsatisfying jobs and the loss of your social life. But new research suggests it's increasingly becoming a generational and gender based struggle, too. A troubling rise in the number of young people reporting mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety means they are now more likely to call in sick than aging Gen Xers who are 20 years their senior in a surprising turnaround for historic wellness trends. That growing mental health crisis is beginning to have a major impact on Gen Z employees' career prospects, according to research by the think tank Resolution Foundation. Research from the Resolution Foundation found that a third of young people aged 18 to 24 suffer from what is called common mental disorder, such as depression, anxiety, or bipolar disorder. The figure is well above 24% of young people in the year 2000 who lived with CMD, which is common mental disorder. Social media has got to play a role. There's already established links between scrolling, continuing to scroll, getting likes on your pictures and these spikes of dopamine that you get. You post a picture and you see that people like it. It feels good, doesn't it? Or sometimes you you get a text message and you get it feels good. You get a little spike of dopamine or you're scrolling on Instagram and you see something and you like that and that person, they like your stuff and it just, it feels good. You know that there is a price to pay for those good feelings that we are getting from our devices. And we got to be abundantly clear. We're addicted. We're addicted to our devices. It's how we communicate with the world. In fact, I am noticing in younger generations, they don't even know how to shake somebody's hand and look them in the eye. Those skills that you need to be a good employee in person are lost because having communication And greeting someone and meeting somebody in the virtual world is not the same thing. That is being lost. 
just like we decided that we don't need to teach people how to write in cursive anymore. Make that make sense. Well, everybody just types now and they type with keyboards and they type with their thumbs. Everything is in print. So you don't have to teach the kids how to write cursive. First of all, learning how to write in cursive is a part of literacy. So we are basically foregoing children's literacy. And I don't know about y'all with MPS asking for a quarter billion more dollars. And some of those schools are not teaching these children how to write cursive. They are actually encouraging illiteracy. Can you imagine being a 50 year old person signing documents and you don't know how to sign your name? Like you can't sign your name because you never learned how to write in cursive. This is unfathomable to me. Can you imagine being 37 years old and maybe you get hired and get a good job and you got to do some research and in your research, you actually have to read like historic documents and you literally cannot read them because they didn't teach you cursive. Something's is going on. That jump has been turbocharged by a mental health crisis among young women. Two out of five young women are likely to report CMD compared to 25% of men. So 40% of women are likely to report common mental disorder. Well, 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 ladies. <laughs> and we're the problem. RF analysis has found that the number of young people taking time off of work due to ill health has doubled in the last 10 years. The effects of the effects on work outcomes are becoming clear. People living with mental health difficulties are more likely to be working in low paid jobs compared with their healthier colleagues. Okay. I'm, so let me not minimize this, but I know that the dopamine stores of human beings is altered because of our incessant use of social media. And the other thing is children are starting to use social media young, you know, with children, their brain, their brains are wiring themselves around experiences. Like y'all need to know this. So when a child witnesses violence or is a victim of violence, or if a child is a victim of neglect or abuse, any kind of abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, their brain becomes wired around those experiences. Sometimes it is literally in the child. So some of the situations that children are witnessing in our community become a permanent part of who they are, therefore replicating and repeating some of these bad cyclical behaviors for another generation. We just have to know this. So when you give a child a screen at two, just here you go, play with the tablet. Here, play, play with this. Their brains are being wired around interaction with that device. I talk about this thing called a digital footprint. When I was, when did I first get the internet? No, I was probably 19 when I had it at home. So I had lived my childhood. I was an adult when I had the internet. And plus it was such a novelty back then. It was just a bunch of, just like MTV and Coca-Cola had websites. Basically, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't e-commerce. You didn't live your life on the Internet. There was no MySpace, no YouTube, no Google. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. It literally didn't exist. Nor could we even imagine a world where the majority of our interactions would be on a computer instead of face to face. Had you told me that, had you said, hey, Sherwin, by the time you're 48 years old a good portion of your life, including the things that you buy. I've sold cars on the internet before. I've bought cars on the internet before. Had you told me when I was 19 years old that, oh, Sherwin, by the time you get to middle age, your life is essentially going to be 
on a device, I would have resisted it. I probably would sound a lot like you guys sound whenever I talk about electric cars. Oh, no one's going to drive electric cars. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, you just wait. I think it is going to further exacerbate this problem. So they tried to do a law in Texas. I think it was Texas. Well, they wanted to maybe Florida. They wanted to ban the use of social media for those under the age of 16. Clearly, a piece of legislation like that would never get off the ground. But there is reason for it. And there is a direct correlation between depression and anxiety and how much people are using their devices. And now it's manifesting itself in the Generation Z because women in Gen Z are reporting astronomically high numbers when it comes to depression, anxiety, and bipolar. Now, this is not all attributed to what's on the devices, but the devices do not help. The images that people are bombarded with, and then, of course, everybody compares. You compare what somebody else looks like to what you look like, and if you don't look like them, and you see they've got 30 million followers, and they've got 195,000 likes because they look like this, their hair is like this, they're wearing this dress. And if you don't have the ability to look like that or to wear your hair like that or to wear that dress, I could understand where you could be depressed. But at the same time, you need to realize it's not real. The Internet, especially when you use it for entertainment, is entertainment. And I hear all sorts of adults saying stuff like, well, you know, these video games are what's screwing up all these kids. Yeah, and the Internet is screwing you up, too. The number of people that I know that have been duped by fake news is probably worse than the number of kids that we blame for being violent and stealing cars. Y'all getting played by the Internet, too. Ladies and gentlemen, it is entertainment. Most of what we see is just somebody showing off about you know, their version or vision of a perfect life that all the, most of the time it doesn't even exist. And even when somebody posts a, a good picture, you know what goes in, what's involved in posting a good picture. You know how many pictures I got to take to post one good picture. I didn't like my, the angle of that one. I didn't like the lighting in this one. My left eye is closed too much. I need to smile bigger. No, I smile too big. What's that in my tooth? Got to turn my head this way. Hold the camera up. Hold the camera down. And we are letting it impact people. The digital footprint is from even before a child is born. Even before a child is born, ladies and gentlemen, they have a presence on the Internet. Women will upload their ultrasound pictures. This child hasn't even come into the world yet, but we already know it's coming. We might even know the name of the child before the child is born. Then you got pictures of the hospital and you got pictures of the newborn and you got pictures of the baby taking its first steps. You are putting your child on the Internet before this child even has any kind of identity. Giving a child a digital footprint. Here's something else I can't understand. There used to be a time in which we operated with exceptional caution. But a different kind of caution. Right. So so now the caution is we don't want immigrants to come into the country because we hate them. Right. That's where our caution is. But back in the day, if somebody knocked at the door, we would open it. If somebody called on a telephone, there was no caller ID. You answered the telephone. You didn't know who was on the other end. You know, if it was a bill collector. Jesus calling on the main line. You had no idea who was calling you. You answered the phone. We had a healthy amount of suspicion of, of like strangers, but not too much suspicion. Y'all will put 
pictures of your children on your social media profiles for people that do not know you, that have never met you, to see. Think about that for a second. People will put pictures of their children and say, oh, I'm dropping my baby off at school, and you'll check in at the school. So now a stranger, a potential predator, knows where your child goes to school, knows what your child looks like, and we've just normalized that. I'm going to take a break, come back. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this because we're afraid of the wrong things. What we overshare on the Internet and how we give children digital footprints before they can even talk is a problem. And if it's leading to the overuse of screen time, where it also is leading to depression, anxiety and exacerbated mental illness, especially in girls to where now they're calling in sick and they're not productive at work. This is a national problem. Y'all going to make me run for Congress so I can put together a bill. Well, my first bill would be reparations. Then my next bill would be addressing the mental health crisis that may be exacerbated by social media use. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. Don't touch that dial. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. The effects on work outcomes are becoming clear. People living with mental health difficulties are more likely to be working in low paid jobs compared to their healthier colleagues. The most worrying part of that trend for policymakers is that it it is creating previously unheard of generational dynamics. For example, young people are now more likely to be absent from work because of illness more than people who are 20 years older than them. So when people complain about the age of our elected officials, this context makes sense. If young people need more resources focused on the exacerbating problem, especially with young women between the ages of 18 and 24, focusing more resources on mental health. Cause like older people, we're like building infrastructure and roads and bridges and giving tax cuts to rich people and middle-class people and people that have families like this young generation. They're not even starting families, right? Their incomes are lower. Interest rates are too high. And so where older politicians put their focus is on the wants, needs, desires of generation X and higher. So if we get younger politicians, cause I think y'all don't want younger politicians. You don't, It's just something to complain about. In American politics, you've got to be mad at something. And Donald Trump is old. Joe Biden is old. Even though age is, it's a lie. Like nobody really cares that they're that old. Because Bernie Sanders was a phenomenon with the young people. Bernie Sanders was in his earlier mid-70s back in 2016. Bernie's got to be older than Joe Biden. And age was not an issue because Bernie Sanders was the candidate preferred by 18 to 30-year-olds. And if anything... They're the ones that are more concerned about Joe Biden's age. That's cap. No, they're not because they love Bernie. So the age thing is fake. In fact, if there is a candidate for office or an incumbent that speaks our issues, we don't even care if they're black. Seriously. So all that stuff is arbitrary. 
But for all of you, like middle aged people and older people say, oh, we got to get young people new, fresh ideas. If young people get elected to office, they're going to create policies and execute the law in favor of what is plaguing young people, not us. Just like young people might feel neglected politically now, we are going to feel neglected politically when young people get in office. They, they, don't, they ain't going to care about Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. They, they're not going to care about that. They're going to be focused on Gen Z and millennial economic issues and mental health issues, which are dramatically different than Generation X, baby boomers, et cetera, et cetera. So just keep that in mind, because if you really want younger politicians to get in office, just know that that's going to come with some strengths. They're not going to represent you because they can't relate and you can't represent someone that you cannot relate to. It's why I think men do a horrible job representing women politically because what do we do we take away their right to choose that's the worst case scenario the truth with sherwin hughes will be back for hour two